Next week is Resurrection Sunday. Yes, we're excited for that. If you've not already invited someone, make sure you swing out to uh, the foyer out there in the lobby and, they, and grab you a card and put that in somebody's hand. Make sure they get invited next week. Remember, that's 8.30 and 10.30. Uh, let me just say, this is the last, this is, I, I'm, I'm kind of glad, I'm kinda, and I'm kind of not, but this is the last uh, sermon in the series on one flesh. And it's been, has it been easy for you? <laughs> Come preach it for a day. It's been real. It's been challenging, but I, it's been so beneficial. I, I've learned a ton uh, as the Lord has just been unpacking things in my life. And so today we're talking about marital conflict. I remember a time in my life uh, when I used to travel quite a bit for ministry and, and I would be gone. And this was during the time that my girls would say, Daddy, you know, it's real small. I love to come home to that. You know, I love to hear those, those small voices. And uh, my kids were the cutest when they were young. Um, <laughs> they know I love them, but, um, but, but I'd come home and they were just, they were, they were darling. And so I would be gone. And my thought was this is that I was gone for maybe a week or two or maybe a few days, just depending on the trip. And when I would come back through that door, here's my expectation. My expectation was the same as when I see those POWs gone for decades, right? You know? And I'm expecting for the party to happen. I'm expecting that they're like, they're just waiting. They got the banner waiting to just rip open. And the, and the kids got, you know, the, the crayon colors. And Julie's just in the sprint mode so she can run and just, you know what I mean? And, and so I was, and I come through the door. And as soon as I come through the door, it's like, hey, will you come here and help me? You know, I'm like, whoa, where'd the party go? And, uh, you know, me and Julie, we had conversations about that because I thought, you know, I, I really want to be celebrated when I come through the door. You know, like, I just want to know I matter around here. You know, I've been gone for however long, and, and Julie's like, well, you know what? She goes, while you're gone, someone has to maintain normalcy. Someone has to maintain life. So that way your kids and your wife aren't calling you every night and going, where are you? When are you coming home? You know what I mean? And so uh, I did not realize how important it was for reality to continue. You know, I was really hoping uh, that my expectations will be fulfilled. And I know that there have been many times, I'm sure you guys have probably already got it figured out, but there have been many times that my expectations weren't met inside of marriage and inside of family and when those marriages and when those expectations in marriage are not met, it's a bit of a difficulty we run across, right? Because we really are hoping, and, and, and be honest, those expectations are completely, utterly justified. They are justified. These are not home, hopes and, and whimsical dreams, right? We really believe that this should be a reality. And when we walk through the door or whatever your expectation might be, uh, we realize, uh-oh, I don't think we see eye to eye on what's needed in life. Am I the only guy that's ever been down that road before? Thank you. There are two. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, guys. I appreciate that. I was like, I'm just alone up here, but it's all good. Expectations are important in marriage, absolutely. But what do you do when expectations are missed in marriage? Amos 3.3, I love this principle, says, do two walk together unless they have agreed to meet? 
It's important to have expectations. We might say it like this. How can two walk together unless they have expected each other to meet first? There's an expectation. You can't walk together if you don't first meet, and you can't meet if you don't expect to do so. And so marriage is full of expectations. Now, how those things happen, how they play out is a whole other thing. But you should know is that, that, that expectations are good, but they're also difficult. Marriage is a life long walk where two people first agree to meet at an altar, right, and then leave as one. The problem is, is that there's some difficulties in learning the pace of the walk. And sometimes there's some difficulties and expectations in terms of the number of stops that you'll make on the trip and how long you'll stop there and how many gas stations along the way you got to stop so the kids and the wife and everybody can use the back. You know, there's some, there's some expectations out there that we're not always met with. And so um, how do we deal with the lack of expectations? How do we deal, matter of factly, how do we deal with the conflict in the marriage uh, because that is going to dictate and determine how long your marriage will last. It's how long you can last through that. What's your, what's your mind frame on that? Do you know that there is bad conflict and good con- conflict? There's actually healthy conflict in marriage. But can I tell you that healthy conflict, um, it has to be resolved conflict. So what do you say? What is healthy conflict? Healthy conflict is resolved conflict that produces a healthier relationship evidenced by love and good works. You can have healthy conflict. There is no, I hope you know this, I hope this is not your third day in marriage, but there is no such thing as marriage without conflict, right? And all the women said amen? amen. Now, come on, man. Now, y'all won't get that way. They're like, we're trying to keep peace, Pastor Scott. We ain't saying a word today. You go ahead and say what you got to say up there. I'm going to root you in my spirit. Hebrews 10.24 says this, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. The word here, stir up, literally means have a sharp disagreement. You see, it's biblical for you to have a sharp disagreement. You didn't know that, right? You can actually have a sharp disagreement. I'm going to preach to myself today. I know you guys are not with me. It's all good. I, I just say, y'all like, no, you just go, Pastor Scott. Well, here, listen, I want you to know as well, is that not only is it biblical, but a sharp disagreement can be healthy. It can actually benefit your relationship. And so it's funny because we don't want to get into those things because, to be honest, the world has taught us that false peace is a good peace. It's a secondary piece, but it's an okay piece so long as I ain't got to hear him sulk and sulk and so long as I ain't got to hear her nag and gripe about it. I, I, I'll embrace that piece all day long. But that's not what the Word tells us to do. Matter of fact, in Proverbs 27, 17, you've heard this before. It says that iron sharpens iron. So one man sharpens another. How does iron sharpen iron? It sharpens it through conflict. Without conflict, you are not sharp. You are not becoming sharper. So as iron remains unsharpened without the presence of conflict, but conflict produces a greater quality of iron. Can I tell you that in your marriage, conflict will produce a greater quality of marriage so long as that it is healthy conflict, that it is resolved conflict, that it is biblically resolved conflict. Julie, don't you wish you knew this? I wish I knew this earlier in life. Uh, we went through some years where I was so ignorant 
that I was just guessing at everything, trying to make it work. And I, I wish I was younger and someone said, Scott, it's okay to be in conflict. I don't know about you, but when I was in conflict in my marriage, here's what I always thought that it was. I always thought it was a matter of who was right and who was wrong. Always. I always thought conflict is because either I'm wrong and she's right or I'm right and she's wrong. I always thought it was something to do with that. And so I was constantly trying to figure out how I'm going to get right one of these days because I feel like I'm wrong all the time. Matter of fact, it got to a place for me and Julia. I just told her, I said, I'll never apologize to you again. I said, because I was tired of being wrong. And I was wrong. I was accepting wrongness because I was just trying to get back to peace. Even if it meant admitting things that wasn't necessarily wrong, I was just trying to own the conversation and own the issue and own the problem because I wanted that peace more than I did the truth of what was happening. And so I said, no more. And thankfully, God changed that. We, 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 we pushed through and we worked through how to resolve that. And so today, I want to talk about is how does the wife approach conflict? How does the man approach conflict? And so, because when we look at conflict in marriage, necessarily what we see is, is that men won't talk, and that's all women will do is talk. And so, so how do we really move through these things where, where we're not really being effective at what we do? And so today, I want to look at two passages of Scripture where Apostle Peter uses to address husbands and wives and the insight that he brings in resolving conflict. And then I'm going to have you step into my counseling office today. So today you guys are going to get some marital counseling. So that way if you ever need marital counseling again, you can just say, uh, baby, I think it's time for us to go back to Pastor Scott one more time. All right? Just in case you get there. Uh, Father in heaven, I need your word to do what only your word can do. I need your Holy Spirit to do what only the Holy Spirit has privilege to do. And I need you to show me how to be obedient. In all of it, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Turn with me to 1 Peter 3, 7. Peter is speaking to um, many different human institutions. He's talked about the government. He's, he's talked about uh, marriage. He's talked about uh, the family dynamic. He's talked about employment and masters and slaves. And, and here he arrives, and he is speaking now to the husbands. And he's giving some great words here. Uh, but in these words, he's dealing with what the expectation is concerning the husbands. But, but, he's, but he's also dealing with how we are to live with our wives. Um, and so that does not just include um, the daily, but also in conflict. So how are we to live with our wives while we, while we are dealing with conflict? And so he says, likewise, husbands, and here's the command, live with your wives in an understanding way. That the strict form of that command simply means this. Husbands, live with knowledge. The word is nosos, knowledge. And the manner is this. Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. And here's the purpose. So that your prayers may not be hindered. The first thing we see here is that husbands are to take lead and to seek understanding. Our job is to be head of the house. That means our job is to be first one in all the time. 
We ought to be first into disciple, first into lead, first into pray, first into worship, first into forgive, first in. We ought to be first in constantly. And when it comes to matters of, of, of resolution and conflict, our job is to lead in the resolution of that conflict. We should not wait until she's tired and sick of it and she has to pull it out of you. If she's doing that, you failed. You missed it. You're supposed to be the leader of the home, and we, we want that. We require that. We desire that. But we have, to, we have to exemplify that in all places. And so conflict is one of those things that typically men do not want to engage in. But it is still our job to be men. Men? That we are to lead into the conflict resolution process. And so he says to us, he says, since we are to live as we have knowledge, to live in an understanding way. And he's contrasting that by saying we ought not live in former ignorance. If you look at 1 Peter 1.14, he says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. So Peter sees a contrast here. There are those men who are living in knowledge that is the knowledge of who Christ is and the knowledge of what he has done. And then there are those who live in ignorance. And those ignorance are people or characterized by people who are caring or they desire the passions of their life. And so what he's implying here is, is that if you're one who lives without knowledge... Then you're, li- then you're living being controlled by your passions and your desires. And how does that, how does that work out in terms of conflict resolution? If you're, if you're only living for your passions and your desires, then you lack the ability to conflict resolve. And so here he moves a little further. And he says, as godly husbands, we're, we're called to seek resolutions and conflicts, but we're supposed to not prioritize our own selfish desires and our own self interest because you and I are supposed to be like Christ who sacrificed who gave himself who surrendered all of his rights Christ surrendered every right that he had all of his all of his power he surrendered those things so he could bless the church and resolve the conflict that the church had with the father in heaven that's who you and I are supposed to be that we'll sacrifice all of it for resolution Now, am I asking you to be a doormat? No. I'm asking you to be a man, to be strong, to understand what principles are at stake when you resolve conflict. I'm not saying bow down, let her say what she wants to say. I'm saying you bring the word into your situation and say, let's ask what the word says we should do. In fact, man, I can just tell you this. If you will always lean back on the authority of the word, you'll never have to exercise your own. It's the best place to be. You never have to discuss your opinion or your preference. But when you lean on the authority of the word, the problem is not with you. The problem is with God. And that's what you and I are called to do. And so that is what Christ did sacrificially. That's what we should do sacrificially. And so, man, can I ask you, because I know it's difficult when you talk about sacrificing, can I ask you the question is, are we committed to marriage even when our desires are not being met? Because that's when it gets real difficult, right? We can do a lot of things, but, but when our desires are not met, then, then it's troubling. And, and, and let me ask you, do we withdraw? I, I can answer yes to every one of these. Do we withdraw? Do we modify our love towards our wives? Do we throw cold shoulders? Do we, do we neglect chores? Do we fail to make extra efforts? Do we put her in her box so she can't contaminate our other boxes? We do those things. I've done those things. Because, because in my mind, somehow, Julie was not fit for all of my unconditional love. 
Why should I give to her unconditionally when I don't even see a, a fraction of the reciprocation in my own justification? But that is not who God has called me to be. He has not called me to be a judge. He has called me to be a sacrifice. And as men, we are to lay it all out and trust that God will speak to her heart. This is the dependency that we struggle with. And women cannot say, this is real difficult for men. Because we don't always know if you understand what we need. And we don't know if you specifically understand where we're missing it. So I think sometimes because men are simplistic or simple-minded people, that it's, it's easy to dismiss our needs. And we understand that we're simple-minded men. And because when our needs are not met, we think you think too simple of us to really understand what we desire. And what we desire is breath and life. And the things that we, are, that we need that are essential to us are the same thing as breath to us. We do not need a lot of things, but what we do determines our health, mind, body, and soul. It's, it's not that we're thinking that difficult. But men, back to us, how are we going to resolve conflict when she is unwilling to do things about it? We'll get there in a minute, but let me talk about being a man who lives committed to God. Number one, he says this, Peter says, and likewise, husbands, See, that likewise, he puts you in a category that you probably didn't realize. Likewise, he just gave you a description of what you're supposed to be. And I'll refer back to it in 1 Peter 2, 11 through 12. He says this. This is what he's saying. He's saying, husbands, you're supposed to be like this. Likewise, like this. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. So in other words, you, you're not to act like these people on earth which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. Do you know a good deed is not an easy deed? When you say, Pastor Scott, I, I fasted this afternoon, but you ate the largest breakfast known to man, <laughs> you didn't fast. You didn't fast. And when you say, I've done good deeds, but you yourselves knew that they were a delight for you to do them and cost you nothing, you've not done anything. And so what we're saying is, is that when we act in such a way before the Gentiles, those who long to criticize you and tell you that Christians are the same judgmental people that they've always been forever, when they see your good deeds, those things that are not easy to do, but you do them anyway, it glorifies God. And he says, and this is what you have been called to be. And so Peter is telling us that we are to resolve conflict that is not easy for the natural man. How is biblical conflict repeatable by the natural man? There are some things in us that we need the Holy Spirit to do that we cannot do. I need to love my wife in a way that is not possible on my own. Because I need men who don't know Christ to see Christ's power in me, doing things that he can't do, so it'll speak of my Father in heaven who has bore witness to him that there is somebody in me loving somebody else in a capacity far beyond my ability. And this glorifies my Father in heaven. 
And so, men, because you are not like other men who do not fear God, you demonstrate your submission to God by living in such a way that is contrary to natural desires, which seeks to resolve the argument in your favor. We're not going to do that. And the other thing is, is that remember that you're resolving your conflict is so that you honor your wife, that you sharpen her, that your conflict and your resolution to the conflict should actually bring honor to your wife. So, so when we deal with whatever the issue is, at the end of the day, however you resolve conflict biblically should honor your wife at the end of it all and not rob honor from her. For if you rob honor from your wife, you've robbed glory from yourself since she is the glory of man. You're, you're stealing from yourself. You're robbing yourself. And so the second reason is simply this. Here's the other reason. That our prayers may not be hindered. Men, our communication and ability to resolve conflict with God is dependent on our ability to communicate and resolve conflict with our wives. Why? Because the same heart you'll have before your wife will be the same heart you have before your maker. And you cannot change it because the audience has changed. Have you ever been able to love someone altogether differently than the other person over here? No, you, in fact, you may, have, uh, you may have different capacities, but that same level exists. The, a person who is loving is loving to all people, and those who have a, a tendency to hate most people will almost hate all people because they cannot change who they are. Unless Christ changes who they are. And so if your heart towards your wife is not good, if it is always demeaning her, then how in the world do you expect the Lord to hear your prayer? Because he sees your heart. If we fail to honor her because we live ignorantly out of selfish desires, then the same heart that communicates to our wife will be the same heart that communicates with God. I know you can't say amen today. That's okay. Let me just recap for you. Hey, listen, I love you. I, I love you. And I am, I am not going to allow the culture to dictate influences in your marriage where you don't know what the word says. I want your marriage to be the wholest and most wonderful relationship and experience in your life. But it does not come through easy sacrifices. It does not come without confronting difficult truths, but it will produce a great fruit in you, a great product in you. And so, men, here's what we need to know before I move on to the ladies. We ought to first, number one, approach the resolution without selfish desires in mind. We are to bring honor to her through our resolution, and we are to demonstrate our desire to be understood in prayer by our desire to understand our wives in communication. Let me help you with that last one. When you're talking with your wife and you have a difficult time trying to communicate with her, um, the best way, the best few ways, this is just, this is Pastor Scott's personal preferences here, but here's what I learned. I, I tell Julie, here's what I hear you telling me. Uh, here's what I think you're feeling. Uh, here's what I feel you asking. It, it's, your job is to bounce back what you hear because, guys, you know a lot of times what we hear is not really what's been spoken, Right? Uh, that's, that's just the truth. Um, maybe I'm just laughing at it because it's been my truth my whole entire life, you know. So it's okay. It's okay. I'm a work in progress. That's why I know Jesus. All right, next one. Ladies, likewise. 
1 Peter 3, 1 through 6 says this, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word. By the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let a, your adorning be external, the braid of hair and the putting of gold jewelry, the clothing you wear. Let me just say those are not absolutes. He's not telling you not to do those things. Otherwise, he'd tell you not to wear clothes, right? So that's not true. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. <laughs> that's, that's in the word. I just want to say... It's in, it's in a word, baby. It's just in a word. Just a biblical man. <laughs> and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything. That is frightening. And so here's Peter's response for wives. He says, first off, wow, this is, this is clear. You know, and I almost want to say, this is Peter. You know, Peter was a brash man. You know, he, he, he didn't have a whole lot of sensitivity. Uh, but his words made it in the book, and so therefore it is, it is God's words. But I can't help but think this is how Peter would say it, <laughs> you know? And he would say, um, um, well, I'm not going to paraphrase it today. I want to keep, keep my integrity. So here's, here's how he said it. He says, here's how you deal with it, ladies. You deal with it without a word. If you want to win, win without a word. Does that mean he, you can't talk through none of your conflicts? That's not what he's saying. But he says, if you want to walk through, if you want to win your husband, then, then win without a word. That, that a, a woman's ability to win without a word is more powerful than her ability to win with words, which is really a bit of a contrast because women are so good with words. But I think that's the clue. It's because that's your natural ability. That's your gift. And again, we're leaning on God to do things that we can't do. And so if we're going to resolve conflict, then we need God to do what we can't do, lest we put our, our, our trust in the flesh, in our ability. And the Lord says, no, I, I need you to do that. And so here, notice that words are not the catalyst for change in your conflict, women. That, that words are not the catalyst for change. As we saw last week, women are known for their words, right? And we know that there's a temptation and desire to, to, to lean into the control and begin to uh, structure your life because you have some things, you have some necessities, and there is a moment where you will walk into that temptation and begin to do those things. But the Lord is saying through Peter, no, 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 don't do that just yet. There's a time to use words, but not in this moment. I find it unique because men are asked to speak in conflict resolution and women are asked to work. That's, that's altogether different. If men were asked to work and women were asked to speak, we would not have to be here today. We could just wrap it up and go home because we naturally do that. Men don't want to talk, right? And women don't, uh, I don't want to say they want to work. Let me back up, boy. Woo! Almost fell off on that pot. That's not good. Women prefer to speak, let me say that. Prefer to speak. Um, I think about, ah, I don't want to get caught in those details. But um, I'm just trying to dig myself out of that hole almost fell in. 
So had you asked the woman to walk through conflict and the man to work through it, that wouldn't have been a problem. But we also know that it's unproductive. And so he says, not just work, not only just work through it, not do it without, without a word, but he talks about the conduct that you're supposed to have, the conduct. And, and, and you should know, ladies, you probably know this already, is that your man is probably not the best listener. Now, you may have a guy who's a great listener, but in general, the majority of us are not. We struggle with the listening thing. And Peter addresses what will garnish the attention of a man. And it's not words, it's action. Men pay attention to actions. Notice the word is conduct. It's not a single action. It's not an instance. It's not you trying to gain favor for a moment so you can speak to him concerning the things that are on your heart. It is a way of life. It is a conduct. And so a conduct means immeasurably more than you can realize with a man. When our our wives have a conduct, there is something about that conduct that draws us in and we listen and we understand because we long to, because we see there's a respect in your way of life, in your conduct, and this opens the man. Many words shut down a man, but, but the actions make him attentive and make him aware and want to know more. Ladies, your husband is more apt to reconcile any conflict you have if your way of life is respectful. Remember, respectful is what you give to him unconditionally. You you give to him what he needs most when he deserves it least at great personal cost. And Peter is using men's love language to get their attention. If faith needs works, then love needs deeds. And this is how Peter is approaching this matter. But not just any conduct, he needs respectful and pure conduct. Previously, we said that men validate their effort to seek resolution by showing honor. But here, women are validating their effort by showing respect. Maybe we can state the negative of that to make sense of it all. Men fail to validate the effort to resolve conflict when their wives are not honored. And women fail to validate the resolve in conflict when their husbands are not respected. How does that change the way we see conflict resolution? If men are to bring honor to their wives through the resolution of the conflict, women are expected to resolve conflict in a way that is respectful of their husband. The goal of the husband is to produce a resolution that honors his wife. And the goal of the wife is to produce a resolution that respects her husband. And in these approaches, what conflict cannot be resolved and cannot be resolved healthily and biblically? These are the approaches that Peter is calling us to. Because when men resolve conflict biblically, they magnify their wives' value. See, our wives, are we, as we know, are, are, are intelligent, they're sensitive, they have a spiritual intuition, they have just an understanding about things that, that, guys, we don't know. But when we honor them, we magnify those values in them that they bring to the conversation that helps us resolve the problem in relationships or the problems in, in life. But if we fail to honor our wives, we don't magnify what they have. Typically what we have is we, we diminish those things because we don't want to feel insecure because their qualities are superior to what we have. On the converse side of things, women, you're, you're to resolve conflict biblically by magnifying your husband's leadership. Not only women, uh, men, not only do we do this because um, uh, the word says to do this, but we, we pattern Christ. 
Christ did the same thing. He magnified the value of the church. Before his sacrifice, the church's value was nothing. It was nil. It is because of his sacrifice that the church has value. And also, women, that we, when you resolve conflict, we magnify our husband's leadership. Women, if you allow that to happen, here's what we see. We see his servanthood, his willing to serve, his selflessness, his willing to sacrifice, and his godly submission thrive when you magnify their leadership. And church does this in regards to Christ's headship as well. He says, do not let your adorning be external. Biblical conflict resolution be Christ-empowered. It should be what Christ does and not necessarily what he, what we do, because we are all, we all have natural desires that we lean into. And so when, when Paul is, or when Peter is speaking to the women, he is simply saying, don't do things that allow you to put the matter in your hand. In fact, when you're resolving conflict, have you even prayed first? Have you even asked the Lord to move his heart? Because can I tell you that if he's a man like most men or, or, or some particular man, you will not change him. You will modify his behavior, but you will not have the husband you desire. Because the husband you desire comes from within. But everything else that you control on the outside will just do just that. It will modify just the outside. So you have to ask yourselves, what do I want to change? If I want to change the inside, then I have to trust on the Lord who is in me and pray to God that he do the same thing. But if all I care is, is about is, is a behavior modification then you can use those external adornments. And so what is your goal? Peter says, rely on imperishable beauty. Rely on those things that even as you get older and your dresses are not as what they were and your accessories are not as what they were and your hair is not what it used to be, he said he'll still respond to you because he's not responding to the external adornments. He's responding to the goodness and the wholeness of his wife. And that is what he honors. Not the external things that will fade eventually. And God honors this as well because this imperishable beauty is, this is the thing that the Lord sees. And so the last thing he, he tells the women, he says, this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves. Remember, we said last week how women were born with a temptation and a desire uh, for control. And her hope in God will change her man rather than her ability. And this is how holy women used to adorn themselves. And notice the last thing he says right there. He says, do not fear anything that is frightening. I know that the tendency to control is because you fear a certain aspect of the relationship, whether it's security or safety or provision or whatever it might be, peace, all those things you fear not having. So that is the prompt in you to secure those things. But what he is saying here is that if you hope in God, God will not fail you, regardless of the number of times that your husband may. If you hope in him, there's no reason to fear because your husband now just becomes the instrument that God uses to fulfill what you really need in life. And the responsibility doesn't rely upon the man to figure out and discern. If he is submitted to God and you are submitted to God, you will see that God will use your husband to, to minister to you in the depth of your need. And this is desirable. And so in summary, ladies, can we just say what is healthy um, uh, biblical conflict? How do we resolve it that way? And, and the first one is this, is that you 
Concentrate your efforts in works and not words. Seek a resolution that respects your husband, magnifying his leadership. And place your hope in God to shape your husband rather than doing so yourself. You still with me this morning? All right. Good deal. I got to come back next week for Easter. So uh, I'm going to give you six things to get over it, all right? Let's talk about some, I mean, let's, let's, these, are, these are like about six things, seven, eight things, uh, eight things that I, that I use when I'm doing some counseling. I think it's pretty good. So when, so when you are in conflict uh, with your spouse, um, you can pull these up. Matter of fact, if you'll go ahead and switch, if you want to scan that QR code, I got all of my uh, little notes here you can take home and, uh, and you know, because conflict's going to come one of these days, right? And when it does, these are great things. So these are how I diagnose the heart in a situation. When, when I'm talking to a wife and I'm talking to a husband and they have some conflict here, and so I'm trying to look for the root, really, because that's what it always comes down to. Uh, we typically talk in symptoms, but we don't address the root. And so I'm asking these things. Is there pride, Is there pride in the relationship? Is that the issue here? Pride typically shows up in a person who talks about how much they've been wronged or the need to always be right. Uh, I just told him myself. And then, um, uh, and then there's, a, there's a fault finding. Sometimes the characteristic of a fault finding person will show up, and that's a person who rehearses the faults, always rehearsing the Well, you used to so-and-so, and it's just like the last time when you did so-and-so, and we're just rehearsing these faults. And this is, this is not good. Can I tell you, someone else also rehearses faults. And that's the accuser of the brethren. And when we rehearse faults, all we're doing is siding with the very person who does not want your marriage to, to grow anyway, to be healthy anyway. And so be careful of the list of complaints that we, we run down because that's exactly what he's wanting us to do. The third thing is, is, is there an avoidance characteristic? Someone who's avoiding contact and phone calls and messages and sometimes not even being in the room with their spouse. They're just avoiding the issue uh, they also sometimes borderline with the, with the characteristic of silence. They don't want to share their feelings in a healthy way. Uh, and sometimes they'll punish you by not sharing their feelings because they, they'll, they'll be silent. That is a way to withhold or, or control or manipulate the situation for their favor. Uh, then there's an isolation characteristic, and that's just exactly what it says. It, sometimes they withdraw emotionally, and other times they withdraw physically. That isolation is, it, is there to... It's to deal with anything that they feel like might hurt them. And there's, there's a, a, an issue of unfaithfulness. That's not that you are unfaithful. It's the characteristic of unfaithfulness that may exist in your marriage. And that is typically of a person who exaggerates unnecessary information about their spouse. They're not faithful to their spouse's character. Uh, or they're quick to pile on accusations in a group when someone's talking about their wife or someone's talking about their husband, and they say, oh, yeah, da 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 and you pile on one more accusation. That's a characteristic of unfaithfulness. Number seven is hopelessness. You know, are, are, do you struggle with the idea that, um, that the worst is going to happen? You, you, you don't have any optimism. Uh, everything is going to be horrible. Uh, or do you struggle with the, the fact that you, don't, you can't have faith in God in your marriage? You lack faith in God in any situation. And then the last one is resentment. Do you hold to your anger? Do you hold on? Which eventually leads to that bitterness, um, which is really an issue of, of unforgiveness. And so these are the eight things that, 
that I have seen, I'm sure there's probably more, but these are the eight things that I have seen typically root up in a conversation with someone and their spouse. The last thing is simply this, is the worship team comes on back, is when you're in conflict, how do you conduct yourself? So let me talk to you about how to have conduct for the conflict. First off, can I tell you, stay calm. (laughs) Stay calm. I remember one time I got so mad because Julie was so much more mature than me, and I wanted her to be angry. I wanted her to shout about it. You know what I mean? I want to, I want to talk about it. Talk to me. We got a problem. And she's just over there reading. <laughs> Do you not care? I'm telling you, you can't see the things I'm seeing. I don't know what's wrong with you. I know God gave you to me, but I've lost my mind. You don't. Mm. <laughs> and she says to me like this. I know you want me to be angry with you, but I'm not, you know? Oh, Lord have mercy. I'm walking down the street, you know, just, I call my brother-in-law, I'm so angry, he's laughing at me. He's laughing at me. He's just laughing, and you hear my brother-in-law laugh, he's, he's like a kid, you know, and, and he's just, just going off, and I thought, boy, it did nothing. Didn't do anything. In fact, if you have that problem, Pastor Randy's starting a class this Wednesday called Overcoming Emotions That Destroy. Go, go see my man, Pastor Randy. Stay calm. Stay calm. Because you know why? If you don't stay calm, then nothing serious is coming out of your mouth. Isn't that the truth? When your kids come to you and they have lost their mind talking crazy smack, You don't listen to them because you know if they were serious, they would approach you in a serious manner. And so stay calm and protect the integrity of your statement. Stay calm. Also address one conflict at a time. You know how conflicts are? They like to stack up. Boom, 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 boom. And then when it happens, it happens, right? And, and conflict is like a broad brush, and it cleans up everything that's been out there. But can I tell you, address it one conflict at a time. Uh, a guy said marriage, a marriage without conflict is almost as inconceivable as a nation without crisis. And so address each one at a time. If you try to address all the conflicts at one time, you're going to be overwhelmed. And, and, and uh, exasperated. The next thing is this, avoid accusations. The quickest way to make someone defensive is to accuse him or her of something, right? And so instead of saying, you make me feel like a piece of junk, uh, emphasize, <laughs> emphasize to your spouse how you feel. Don't just make blanket statements, but just say, You know what, when you said that, that really hurt me. When you said that, that made me think about something in my past that that spoke to my insecurity. Learn to communicate. Learn to use words. Learn to express your feelings. If you really would think about it, that person you're talking to really loves you. They're really you. 
That's your one flesh. But they can't fix what they don't know. And so don't just tell them the symptom. Expose to them the root. Don't generalize. Don't generalize. Be specific when you talk about the problem. It's imperative to your spouse to have a clear understanding of the problem. Vague complaints are impossible to resolve. And they are. The words never and always are not ever good when resolving conflict. 